Losing a child in pregnancy or after delivery is such a traumatic and isolating experience. We hope that our podcast will give you a sense of being seen and supported through your lifelong journey as a bereaved parent. One out of four pregnancies in the United States will end in loss, and one out of 170 babies will be stillborn. So even if it has fortunately not happened to you, you most likely know someone who has joined this awful club of resilient parents no one wants to be a part of. It's still taboo to talk about stillbirth and pregnancy loss. By sharing our stories, we can break some of that stigma to increase understanding, support, research, and improve care for all families. I'm Anna Vick, also known as Still My Son on social media. Our son, Owen Nathaniel, unexpectedly was born still during a crash C-section at almost 32 weeks of a textbook, perfectly healthy pregnancy. Though he is no longer here for us to raise along with our other two children, he is still my son. In the safe corner of the podcast world, we will shed a light on this crisis while offering hope for change. Along with Push for Empowered Pregnancy, the nonprofit we help found with other bereaved parents, we aim to spread awareness, empower expectant parents with knowledge about potential risk, and offer evidence-based tips to further our mission to end preventable stillbirths. Thank you for joining us to support the brave families that are sharing their losses with us to make a difference in their child's memory. Hi everyone, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. I'm about to speak with the Executive Director of Push for Empowered Pregnancy, which of course I'm a part of. Also a really good friend. Her name's Samantha Banerjee. And it's so important for me to do this because as you know, my account is called Still My Son. I actually changed that name this year um, after losing a baby over five years ago, I realized after a while they stopped asking about your child that's no longer here, but I always thought in my head, he's still my son. So I changed my account to that name and I want to continue to honor all our babies with this series. So if anyone wants to join us, please, please feel free to go on my link tree. I have a calendar there. You can select a date that's going to work for you. I just want to amplify all of our voices and our babies' voices who are no longer with us just to share because honestly unless we share and tell our story and you know talk about our babies people sometimes do forget and a lot of times we just get booked in with the statistics and sadly of course as we know it's not a statistic if it hits us at home we have to go on our whole life without our baby and our child growing with us and we want stillbirth to end and we want everyone to know this crisis is tearing apart families and as sad as it is to I hope that it also gives you you know a little bit more care for the issue if you're not a lost parent and if you are a lost parent I hope it inspires you too because the person I'm going to speak to today really inspires me on a daily basis to keep going I don't want to cry already oh god Samantha join this call right now if you're there what she does is really give all of us the freedom to go after what we think is important in this issue so we all take on different projects and I'm here sharing my story as much as I can but I really really hope that if you want to be a change maker you'll join us even if you haven't lost a child honestly this is an issue that is a crisis and it's going to affect everybody so whether it's you or not you you know we hope that you'll join us and that's the point of push for empowered pregnancy we're not here for bereavement support but even though we are we're here for you personally but we want to stop stillbirth. So I just want you to have the floor with this interview. I'm not going to take over, but I wanted to let everyone know how much 
I, I love you. I think you're an amazing person and everything you do is it's inspiration for all of us. I feel exactly the same. I mean, I feel so lucky every day to be working with the team that we have. I mean, just what an incredible group of people, right? I mean, everyone is just doing so many amazing things and really making a difference out there. So, um, so thank you, Anna, yeah. for asking me too. And really the main thing is, I mean, we all felt so powerless in our loss and having that taken away, like our children that we thought was, were safe in our womb, mm -hmm. so just been taken away in the final trimester with, you know, we had no knowledge of stillbirth at the time, many of us. So, or even thought it would happen to us because we had a perfect normal pregnancy that we kept being told everything looks great at your appointments, you know? So with, at least being able to be part of an organization like this, I'm like, at least I can fight back and help, you know, and just stop it because it literally can devastate you the rest of your life if you feel like you've lost that control. So please feel free to share. I want you to start wherever you want, but we'd love to know a little bit about your family and of course, Alana, whenever that feels good to start talking about her. All right. So uh, as Anna said, I'm Sam. I'm Samantha Banerjee. I'm the executive director of Push for Empower Pregnancy. Um, and I'm lost mom. So I live in New York, uh, not New York City, in the suburbs. Um, and in 2013, I was lucky enough to very quickly get pregnant with our first child. And we had a just um, blissful pregnancy. You know, it was it was just everything you, you hope, you know, and it was really the culmination of like all of our dreams coming true. Like we had gotten married in the last year. We bought our forever home. We, um, you know, I just uh, a couple of years earlier, you know, we moved um, back from, we, we met when we were interns at Microsoft and lived in Seattle for a couple of years. We were both oh. here from um, the New York metro area. My husband's from New Jersey. So, you know, we moved back to be near our families and, and, and um, start a family and, I had uh, changed career tracks. I just published a book. I spent, um, you know, actually I just published my second. I was in the middle of a trilogy and I just published the second book in the trilogy and I spent the entire summer that I was pregnant with her um, gushing about <laughs> gushing about my, my baby and, you know, like our lives was just picture perfect. So imagine my surprise when uh, two days before my due date after a totally normal, healthy pregnancy, we walked into the hospital in labor thinking we're finally bringing home our baby girl. And instead they tell me she doesn't have a heartbeat. I will never forget the sound of my husband's voice, just crying out no behind me um, while we were looking at the ultrasound. I mean, we were just so blindsided. We just had absolutely no idea that that could happen um, this late in a healthy pregnancy. You know. It, I'd heard the word stillbirth before, but only in like a Victorian context. Yeah. I, you know, if you would have asked me then if stillbirth um, still happened, I would have said, oh, maybe like in third world countries or mm -hmm. you know, to moms who are, you know, lacking medical care or, um, you know, I never knew that it could happen to us. And it was just, it was just like the world just turned upside down. Like, it was like everything that I ever knew to be true all of a sudden wasn't anymore. And it was like just living in this, this nightmare world. I mean, um, you know, one of the first things that they, you know, that they told us was, you know, that like, I remember deep asking, 
she has to deliver the baby and they're like yeah like how else do you think it's gonna get out of her body um and he like that just the cruelty of that you know just um i think that was that was what really um really drove home just like how truly horrific this experience was going to be um and was you know i remember um we called my parents because of course the whole family knew um alana was the first um our first child and the first grandchild on both sides of our family and we have a very big very involved family you know we had like 300 people at our wedding um and and that was cutting cutting the list short um and they were all so excited for us you know um you know my brothers had spent the whole summer with their hand on my belly wanting to feel a baby kick and um you know all my cousins like it was just so terrible and they so they all knew that we were in labor you know because i've been laboring at home for um about 24 hours actually and um i really had no idea that anything was wrong i think the um so uh, backing up a little bit so on the tuesday of that week it was my 39 week checkup um and we had gone in um i went in i think it was by myself actually and um, and everything was great. So my doctor actually did um, NSTs, you know, the fetal heart rate monitoring uh, for everybody the last four weeks of the pregnancy, um, just out of an abundance of caution. That's not like standard practice in a lower pregnancy. Um, but I, so I had an NST with her and she passed it with flying colors. I remember the doctor coming in and saying, it's textbook, she got a little athlete in there. And then when a I went in. A lot of us have that too, which is why it's so shocking. I mean, not that you could ever expect it or be okay with it, but yeah. so many losses happen similarly where everything was perfect all the way through, you know, and then all of a sudden, like, well, what is, what, you know, I don't want to get into it, but what got missed if you were telling yeah. me to, everything was perfect? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so then I went in for my checkup and they measured my fundal length, which again, they'd been doing every week and um this was the first time that it didn't didn't measure what it was supposed to i measured a little bit small and she was like oh that's weird maybe it's a take measure but and then again just to be just to be extra careful she was just like let's just do an ultrasound really quick um so we went over and did an ultrasound she's like yep everything looks good um so um i went home had a regular evening i laid down to bed that night and like she always did she kicked around a whole whole bunch um when i was laying down and um, but the thing was that this time I noticed that it felt different. Uh, it felt like felt like waves rolling through my belly, um, just something I never felt before. But the thing was that I knew I'd been having contractions um, because of the NSTs, but I hadn't felt anything yet. So my first thought was, oh, this this must be a Braxton Hicks contraction. Right. Because, um, it just feels different. It's not painful. I don't know. And I And so I laid there for an hour, smiling, thinking, my baby girl's getting ready to come, you know, I'm going to let these contractions go and hopefully, you know, that's going to get my body into gear and maybe she'll be here, you know, in time for her due date. Her due date was in like, I think, I think it was on the Friday. So three or four days from then. Um, and then after about an hour, the movement stopped. And I thought, oh, she must've gone to sleep. Good. I got up, went to the bathroom. Um, I actually had a little teeny tiny bit of blood which I hadn't had the whole pregnancy and that gave me pause for a second. But then I was like, Oh, you know what? They stripped my membranes earlier today and they'd said I might lose a little bit. Mm. So, and I didn't think twice about it. I went back to, I went, went to sleep. Um, the next,
next day, I cannot, I, I have spent the last almost eight years now trying to remember if I felt move at all. Um, I don't, in retrospect, think that I did um, because I'm pretty positive that, that what I felt when I laid down was my daughter in distress and her fighting for her life and dying. And, and I just, you know, didn't, no one ever told me to pay attention to her movements. Um, you know, the most, the most education I got about fetal movement was um, uh, when I would go in for the checkup, the, the nurse would say, oh, is baby moving? I said, yep. Yeah. And I would say, oh, you know, but a little bit less these last couple of weeks of the pregnancy. And, uh, and she said, oh, that's normal. You know, she's running out of the room, getting ready for birth. Yeah. And we, we now know that that's not true. Um, so I didn't think twice about it. And certainly no one ever showed me to do a kid count. Um, and, and I would feel the need to, to point out that I wasn't um, like a happy-go-lucky pregnant lady. You know, I read every book, blog, and website about pregnancy I could get my hands on. I took a 10-week birthing course. Like, I thought that I knew everything there was to know. There's about. no chapter on stillbirth. There's no. There, there might be a, a there might carefully be worded little mini paragraph. Yeah. Exactly. Something that women can handle. That's yes, not too scary. Exactly. But... So, I, that's why I feel so sad when I hear your story too, because I'm thinking if only you knew that the way you were, you would have been on top of the kick count. I would have been on top. I would have been so on top of it. Um, but yeah, so I, that day, you know, I just remember I was doing stuff around the house. I was like, I feel like spray painted our grill, like just trying to think of last minute things that I knew I was going to be able to be getting to in any time in the next year with a newborn. And um, so I, uh, and then that night I was, that evening I was getting dinner ready and I felt a contraction and I was like, Oh, this is a real contraction. Like, mm -hmm. um, so, uh, but yeah, so I, I ended up, so the contraction started that evening. Um, but they were really erratic. Um, not very strong. Again, you know, I done a lot of reading and studying and stuff. So I knew that like, I had an idea of what it was supposed to feel like. Um, and it definitely wasn't there. So I ended up, you know, just, I remember sitting in my kitchen at like, you know, four, four in the morning or something when, you know, it's like just beginning to be twilight and, um, you know, just being so excited, just so excited for this to finally be over and to finally get to meet my baby girl. And, um, you know, over the course of that day, the contractions slowly got stronger, but they still weren't super regular. So finally around like 5 p.m. that evening, it's been, it'd been about 24 hours that I was laboring at that point. That was when we called the doctor to say, hey, I know the office is closing soon. Um, I just want to give you a heads up that we're probably going to be coming in, you know, either this evening or, you know, in the early morning because I'm, you know, I've been having attractions for the last 24 hours. And, and, um, and the midwife who was on staff that I spoke to said, um, so how, how's her movement? Uh, you know, how's the baby's movement? And I was just like, oh, um, that's a good question. I'm not really sure. I can't really like distinguish between her movements and the contractions. And she's like, hmm well, why don't you, maybe you should just come in then. And I was just like, you know, I was really skeptical because I, you know, again, I was super into like the natural birth thing. And I was just like, I know there's nothing they can do for me at the hospital except, you know, give me, give me medicine or Pitocin or, or catch my baby. And I don't want any of that, you know, and I know my baby's not ready to come yet. So I was, I kind of like pushed back a little bit and she was just like, all right, lay on your side, drink some juice, do a kick count. If you don't get 10 kicks in two hours, you know, come in. 
So I and can we just say really quick that's incorrect. Yeah. We do not advocate that. Yeah. If, if people tell you that even still, and you'll Google it. It'll say uh, ten kicks in two hours for distress to check for distress. Um, a lot of the kick count things that you do are within an hour to get those ten kick outs. You should know your baby. You should yeah. definitely know it's not the same as normal. I need to go in. Yeah. So, and we weren't doing this back in our days. Unfortunately, it wasn't talked about as much. But you guys mm -hmm. have every app available. We recommend Count the Kicks app. I think it's a great one. There's so many, but they have, you know, strength and da -da, you know, everything you need. So you don't have to be going crazy. Like we were writing it down for pregnancy after loss. You know, you could just do this on the app. It'll show you, you know, you'll see a graph. If it dips, please go in. Don't trust anyone who will tell you to wait. This is so important that we can't even continue this conversation without Greg. <laughs> exactly. Like, if you think there might be anything wrong, you just go straight in. Don't waste your time drinking juice. If you no. look and you found your toddler lethargic on the floor, you wouldn't pour some apple juice in his mouth and be like, are you going to move 10 times? Like, no. No, ice water, okay. nothing. It's not necessary. Yeah. If they can't, if they're not doing it already, they're obviously telling you something. So please continue. Exactly. Yeah. Something. exactly. So I rummaged in the fridge. I found the closest thing we had to juice, which was like, strawberry lemonade and then in the next 45 minutes I think I felt four things that might have been a kick but they were all during contractions and I was just like I don't I don't think this is so we called and we said and she said come in just please come in so at that point is when I started to panic a little bit um but you know I remember I walked out the door and um I locked eyes with my cat and my cat Gio had spent the entire pregnancy laying on my belly I mean, he was really excited to be a big brother, I think. And um, and he just gave me this look, like, like he already knew. And and I tried to, I was just like, Gio, everything's going to be fine. Like, I'll be back in, in, in a little while. Or grandma will be like, it's going to be fine. And then I walked into the garage and I just burst into tears. And But I'm bursting into tears thinking, oh, my God, my worst nightmare is about to come true. I'm going to get rushed into an emergency C-section. Like, that was a, what I thought was the worst possible thing that could happen to me in my, in my healthy pregnancy. Right. Um, so, yeah, so we got to the hospital. Um, uh, my husband dropped me off and went to park the car. I went in. They put me on the NST. Um, and then they put the thing on my belly where they had the same spot, you know, every week for the last four weeks. And it's just silence. And the nurse is like, oh, uh let me let me get the doctor and at that point i was i knew something was very wrong but i again i still couldn't like wrap my mind around it i was just i again i just didn't never my baby could well die. no one ever discussed the option of this even happening in your healthy pregnancy exactly um so yeah so then uh i think by that point deep was there um and the midwife came in and she was like and she tried once with things she was like okay forget this let's just go get on the ultrasound so we go down to the ultrasound and that's and that's when they told us i'm sorry there's you know no heartbeat I, I remember looking before they said it i was looking at the ultrasound screen and i remember seeing that that line at the bottom um where it's supposed to show the heartbeat and i'm like why is that line flat and then she says i'm sorry there's no heartbeat um yeah so uh we opted, you know, I was definitely in labor. Uh, we opted to stay at the hospital, um, proceed with an induction to kind of get it over more quickly. Um, and, uh, and, the, and, the, and the birth itself was fine. You know, all of my, like, natural labor 
plans and stuff just went right out the window. Um, you know, I immediately was on an, on an epidural, which I don't regret. Um, and, you know, and I think, I think it really helped um, things to go by faster than they would have otherwise. And when she was born, you know, I remember, I, so I remember my, when it was almost time, my, my parents had gotten there and I remember I turned to my mom and I said, um, are they going to expect me to hold her? And my mom, thank God, was like, yes, you want to hold her. Um, like at this point in my life, I mean, I think I could count on one hand the number of times I'd even seen a dead body. Um, let alone I don't think I've ever seen one. Well, maybe I don't know what you mean, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not in yeah, the exactly. I've never seen one in a while. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I've been like, I've been like, what? No, I understand what you're saying though, because yeah, you're obviously um, offered my son to me, and I was put under so everything when I came out of it was like I was in the twilight zone and I couldn't hardly see but I really I remember that very well and the same feeling of yeah. like what you want me to do you know because exactly I mean it's just so surreal off. right mm -hmm. and you never you know hear like you don't realize in the moment it all sounds so like macabre right you're just like I like yeah. what what alternate universe am I in right but you don't realize later that like that is your only chance to make memories with your child, right? That you would, you know, a few weeks down the line, you would you would give anything to go back to that moment and to mm -hmm. be able to hold your baby again and um, to be able to, to get proper pictures. You know, we had we had bags and bags of clothes and cameras. And we had sent everything home, and you know, this was 2013, so like cell phone cameras were not what they are no, today. <laughs> no, a handful of like crappy photos on her phone. Um, thankfully the hospital did do, um, without, without even uh, asking us about it, like, thank God, um, they actually did like a, one of those roll under pictures, um, for us. And that's actually the nicest picture that we have of her. And yeah, I mean, we held her for about an hour and then, uh, then we, then we said goodbye. And yeah, the whole thing was just, just so, so surreal. Um, you know, the next several weeks, it just. It just felt like I was walking around in a fog, you know, like the um, the shock is just so all-consuming. Like you just, it doesn't even feel real. Like it doesn't, it, like you feel like you must be like in a, in a show or something. Like, um, yeah, it was just so crazy, the whole thing. And um, can I ask I you just, about your labor? Did you have support other than that? Did you work with anyone other? Like now yeah. we talk about all options, but yeah. So I had I had um, I had a doula that um, I was really excited about through the whole pregnancy, um, and but when she came, and she actually did come to the hospital, but it just very quickly became clear that she was totally out of her depth. Mm -hmm. I mean, like she was just walking around like a deer in the headlights. She didn't know what to do to help me. Um, and you know, and it was, and yeah, it, and we just, we were kind of like, I don't really want this person no, here. No, well, and some then, so I, now are trained with bereavement and supporting. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, so eventually, I think the nurse noticed or just confirms like, do you want me to ask her to leave? <laughs> so she did. And, um, but yeah, so I did, I, so no, it was just, you know, my husband and, and my parents and. And the nurses, the nurses were so beautiful. I mean, um, a lot of the nurses that were on staff actually had had histories of pregnancy loss themselves, not um, not necessarily stillbirth, I don't think, but people who had had, you know, infertility, multiple miscarriages, things like that. And they were just, 
you know, they really, um, they really took good care of us. Um, they gave us all the best advice. We didn't always take it and wish that I had, but they, they did all the right things. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the birth honestly was, was beautiful. Like I, I didn't, I thought, I thought it was going to be terrifying and horrible and it wasn't. And she came out and she was just so beautiful. I mean, she was warm. She just looked like she was sleeping. Um, she was perfect. I mean, it was just so heartbreaking because we were just so close, you know, and she's there in my arms and she's just not So there. following your loss, did you find out any information right away? How did that go for you as far as why? So we, um, we did, we did do an autopsy and a placental pathology. And I think it was probably six or eight weeks later, we got the results back. And, um, and it was, they basically said by, by process of elimination, uh, we think it must have been a court accident because we don't see anything else here that it could have been. Um, and, you know, of course the doctor was like, oh, that's good news. That means it was just a freak accident. And I'm just like, that's not good news to me. So you're just telling me she just died for no reason. And that means any of my babies could just die for no reason. Right. Um, and at the time, yeah, I, I, you know, I just, I just immediately threw myself, I, I needed answers. Um, I was not willing to accept that, you know, this just, it was what it was. Um, so, I mean, I just did a ton of research. I, I actually, I remember it was before I got the um, results back that I had come across some stuff online. I remember calling my best friend about, you know, like, I figured it out. I know what happened to her um, because she had had a ton of um, hiccups at the end of the pregnancy, um, like more, more than normal amount. And there was some, um, limited amount of research showing that, um, uh, that can be a sign of cord compression. And, um, and once we got the, her results back, we learned that her umbilical cord was, um, abnormally, um, short, abnormally thin and, um, hypocoiled. We didn't have as much of the protective coiling that it's supposed to. Um, so basically really prone to getting, getting compressed. So, um, there was no evidence of like a knot or anything like that. But um, I remember my mom said um, in the delivery room when it came out, and she noticed the cord looked weird. And she was just like, why does it look like, like a piece of ribbon or something? And, and the doctors tried to be like, oh, it's just because, um, you know, the baby's dead and there's no blood in the cord or whatever. But that actually wasn't true. It actually, it actually was, was a bad cord. Um, so, so yeah, so we, so we, so we were led at the time to believe that it must've been, an acute court accident that it got kinked or something at night while he was laying there and uh and we just got unlucky right um and i'm sure that added to your horrible guilt of thinking you should have come in that night yeah i mean i remember when i when i when i first read about uh the link between sleeping on your back and stillbirth i mean that was something i had never heard my entire pregnancy um and guess what i slept on my back every night the entire pregnancy I was laying on my back that last hour of her life when I felt her kicking in distress and didn't know what it was um so yeah I mean I had an enormous amount of of guilt and regret like um and it's it's soul shredding I mean to feel that you are responsible for your child's death and especially for something so stupid you know like if I just rolled to my side, would she be alive? Like, would our entire lives not be destroyed right now? Like, I felt like I had let down everyone that that cared about us, you know, and I felt like, you know, why was I the only person I know that couldn't manage to bring their baby home from the hospital alive? You know, like, what, what did I do wrong? Um, 
And I just couldn't figure it out. I'm just like, I don't, I don't know how I screwed this up so badly. I mean, I never felt like I had failed so badly at something I cared about so much in my entire life. Um, it was just, just so everyone who's listening, we don't believe that because obviously everyone who knows anything about what we've been researching and promoting, it's not the mom's fault. It's never the mother's yeah. fault. The causes never the there are some that they name, but they're not the most common. That's usually the placenta or the cord. You cannot control that inside of you. You know, we really want you guys to let go of some of that guilt with us. Just yeah. Because, I mean, honestly, we've yeah. carried it too, too long. And now that we all know, we're just making sure you guys know, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so that was the thing. Like, I felt this way about myself. And then, of course, you know, I was lucky enough to find a local support group where I met some you know, incredible families um, and some women who became, you know, my best friends. And like, you know, we just really, really leaned on each other through the next the next several years, especially through subsequent pregnancies. And, you know, would hear them talk about their stories and, you know, all the things that they thought they did wrong. And, you know, looking at it from the outside, of course, you say, no, that's ridiculous. Like, you couldn't, you couldn't have known. Like, you couldn't have done anything differently than you did. Like, you know, and it's so easy to say that about one of your friends, but it's really hard to give yourself that same grace, right? We'll still feel the guilt, and we all do. We're mothers. That's what mothers do. We want to protect our babies. We all feel like we could have saved them. We should have known, you know, all those things. So definitely. You know, it really helped me when I read, like, I read on one of the grief blogs um, that was popular at the time. uh, You know, you would, if your kid, if if your baby was a five-year-old and right in front of a car, and, and got killed. Even if you weren't there, you would still blame yourself, right? Because you're, you're, it's your job to keep them safe. And that means forward several years. And at, you know, I uh, quickly got involved with volunteering, you know, to try to raise awareness and try to rent stillbirths. And again, just met so many amazing families through that, through those efforts. And, you know, by five years later, you know, I'd probably spoken to or read the stories of hundreds, if not thousands of other mothers. And guess what? The one thread that ran through all of our stories was this guilt, this feeling of, I must have done something wrong. And eventually, after hearing enough of these stories, it just clicked. Like, none of us did anything wrong. Or at least we didn't do anything wrong that we had any control over. Um, You know, this was a system-level failure. This was our, our medical system not educating us with the things we need not doing the things that they should have been doing to keep our baby safe. Um, you know, and especially once you've gone through a subsequent pregnancy after a stillbirth, you know, the difference between the level of medical care that I received in my second and third pregnancies compared to my first one is just worlds away. I mean, they don't compare. And, and it just left me feeling really infuriated because yeah. Every baby deserves that level of care. You know, you shouldn't have to pay for it with your child's life. Like, this seems that, like a no-brainer. I can definitely relate to you on that because my first baby was a different doctor and his own yes. practice, PPO, and he really was over the top about everything with Naomi. And I swear, I, that's even one of the things I blame myself for, for switching doctors, right? Because if I'd only continued with him, had he been the one checking on me all the time, maybe he would have caught it. And then, you know, my, obviously my high risk doctor after loss, who was definitely more equipped, he would have caught it as well. Yeah. Like, exactly. Everyone be equally trained to, you know, see these kind of, I mean, it's not easy. I get it. There's some things and they're still working on the science and 
some of them don't want to do the things that we know, like sense of volume measurements and things like that. Those things not everyone's agreeing with yet, but why not? Why not try? Why not try to look at the core? Try to do things that you know are very dangerous and keep an eye on them. Even if you're yeah. not going to communicate with us right away, you don't want to scare the mother, as some people like to put it. Like, honestly, we wouldn't have been scared. We would have appreciated a little heads up so we could have fought harder and we could have been a little more aware. Exactly. exactly. Really I mean, I can't tell you how many moms I've heard say, if I knew them when I know now, my baby would probably be alive. Right? I mean, and that's just, that's just not fair. Um, you know, every mother should know, should have the assurance of knowing that she did and she and her doctors did everything they possibly could to give their baby the best possible chance. You know, um, that's, that's the part that's just so heartbreaking about it is that in so many of these cases, it is preventable. You know, we know not every stillbirth can be prevented. The evidence is showing that 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 at least 25% of them, more likely more than half, are preventable. And that's not even like using like fancy new technology. That's using today's technology, like low-hanging fruit. They're literally doing it in other countries. You know, the UK, Australia, they have these like bundles of medical protocols that they've implemented across the country and babies are living. They have cut their stillbirth rate, which was the same as ours, um, if not better to begin with, by 20% or more. And there's absolutely no reason why we cannot be doing the same in the U.S. Um, there's a little it's, reason. We well, there's have, a lot of reasons, but no <laughs> We don't reason. have um, the same medical care across the board. We have lots of problems with our medical system. Yeah. And, of course, yeah. we're going to try to implement a lot of the same things, but that means everyone has to agree they're all going to do it, right? So that's the hard part, getting everyone to understand, like, this is definitely a crisis. There's too many people that are being affected, all kinds of people. You know, but more yeah. so certain. Yeah. Every, every it's, race, every socioeconomic. It's gotten know. to the point where you have to start doing this across the board, better care for everyone, because it's not fair that you live Absolutely. in one area or with one doctor and you should be okay, and then the other area, no. A lot of the women here on the call right now are saying that theirs was preventable. They were finding out the cause, and it was something that could have been prevented. So that's really unfortunate. I'm very sorry, everybody. Yeah, I mean, that's not something that any parent should ever have to hear, that your child is dead. But maybe if we tried a little harder, they might be alive today. I mean, and that's, and that's a big part of the problem, honestly. A big part of the, the inertia here in the U.S. is that uh, doctors are still trained. Uh, that stillbirth isn't preventable. That it is what it is. That the rate hasn't changed in decades because um, that's just how many babies are going to randomly die. And, and they're okay with that because they're not the ones who have to bring their baby home and bury them. Um, if so they had I any transition you real quick? Yes. Alana's story, we heard the really horrible parts, and I'm very sorry, and you probably could have spoke about that for another hour, and, uh, you know, she's beautiful. I hope everyone can see her photo one day, but um, Still Counts, we have that up, so you can check out our Still Counts page on pushpregnancy.org. You'll yeah. see some of our babies going up there on the wall, and you're welcome to add yours as well. But yes. I want everyone to know, like, the reason we're even doing this is to create a legacy for our children. We do not want their life to be the end of their life. Like, that's physically, yes. But they carry on so much more. And I want everyone to hear now, like, all that you've done. And I know it didn't just start with push. So go mm -hmm. as far back as you want. But I want people to know what Alana is doing in the world now. Yeah. So, so I ended up, uh, again, I was, you know, nine months pregnant. I had blabbed out my pregnancy all over the internet for the last nine months straight. 
So when Alana died, I didn't really have any choice but to unannounce her pregnancy to everyone that I knew. Um, so about four weeks after her death, I put up a post on, on my blog basically explaining her story. And I guess when I did that, you know, it was really hard because like I said, I mean, this experience was humiliating, but I did it and I thought if my story being out there can help one family not have to experience this, um, then it's worth putting myself out there. You know, like I didn't know how people would react. Obviously, this is not something people typically talk about. And especially with that was true back then. I mean, there's been a lot of change in the last um, probably like five years in terms of how much people talk about pregnancy loss, uh, especially on, online. I mean, the, the lost communities um, have really flourished, which is fantastic. But at that point, I mean, I'd never heard anybody talk about their pregnancy loss publicly. Oh, no. Um, like, not even a miscarriage. I like, I mean, I've never heard of stillbirth in my life. No, right. I became a stillbirth mother, but. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that was, that, I think that's true for most of us, right? So, um, so yeah, so I put our story out there right, right from the very beginning. And um, it was hard, but it was good. But it, it felt, it felt really good to share her story because again, we just loved her so much and um, and we still love her so much and we wanted to be able to talk about her. We didn't want her to become, you know, a skeleton in the closet that everybody only talked about and whispers. You know, she, she was a part of our family and she remains a part of our family. And um, basically as soon as I started, you know, it took, uh, it took about a year, you know, I got, again, I got pregnant quickly with my, my son, hopefully uh, was born alive. And, uh, you know, the pregnancy was, quite harrowing and when he was approaching his first birthday I was about ready to um to start doing something about it met uh, Bobby and uh, Bobby Colin and Hillary Hughes uh, who were starting to raise some money for the Star Legacy Foundation um we ended up forming the first chapter Star Legacy here in the New York metro area and then we we helped them grow, grow their organization you know now there's 20 chapters around the country and you know just we we got into all the hospitals in the New York metro area. You know, we were presenting at Grand Rounds. Um, you know, they were started all using our um, Star Legacies uh, bereavement resources. I mean, it was fantastic. But the uh, problem was, we were only getting to moms after that it was too late. You know, we were, we were thankfully getting the moms who had had losses and making sure they got the support that we never got. Uh, that's not what we wanted to do. We wanted to make sure that we didn't want these moms to join our club ever. You know, uh, so when I started, um, I met you, Anna, and I met um, a bunch of a bunch of other, you know, moms who were working in this space. Badass ladies. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. We're tired of this stuff. Stillbirth warriors. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, and that's what, what really unites our team is we all said, you know, we just reached a point where we were just like, I'm done, like, being pleasant about my grief. Like, I'm pissed off. And it's time for this to change. You know, we saw through our work with Star Legacy that it was the nurses were super, super receptive, but the doctors weren't. And, and it's not necessarily their fault. Um, there's a lot of factors working against them. Even the doctors who see that there are things they can be doing better, you know, um, they are, they have the highest medical malpractice insurance, I think, out of any specialty. They're um, the most likely to get sued other than, than general surgeons. It's really, really hard for them to do anything that's different than what the you know standard of care is Cog, uh, so coming down from ACOG um the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology you know that's like their uh, organization and they make all the standards you know there's also the insurance issue you know it's it's really sickening to hear it put so bluntly but the truth is that 
a dead baby is a lot cheaper than a NICU baby. So they wouldn't risk-wise as well, risk-wise because they cannot, right now we cannot sue them for our you can't sue them. Yeah, that's the other huge issue. There's no way for parents to sue for damages after even this. Even if found that yeah, it Even if, even when there is malpractice, it's like nearly impossible to um, prove the um, amount that you could sue for is capped so low that most um, attorneys don't even want to get on. I try, trust um, me. Yeah. It's so, infuriating. It's really hard to get to change. So so when we all, when we all met to come together to um, what became PUSH, you know, we said, we need to attack this problem more aggressively and more creatively than what we've been doing so far. Like, uh, we need to get to moms before this happens to them. And we need to get be putting pressure on the doctors from the highest levels. You know, we cannot uh, go into individual doctors and ask them to change because they can't. So we need to uh, do whatever it takes to get, you know, the big research or whatever it is that, that ACOG claims they need in order to do that. Uh, it's kind of our strategy. So we, we have, you know, dozens of volunteers across the U.S., across um, families, and we are, you know, everybody's kind of got their area that they're passionate about. And, uh, and we're just kind of here to be like, let's just throw it all at the wall and see what sticks, right? Like we've got a lot of energy, a lot of dedication, and a lot of people with some really really bold ideas. So we are just trying to do whatever we can to empower everybody with the tools and the resources they need to get out and, and create that change that they want to see. Yeah, so we, we are, we're going top down, we're going bottom up, and we're just going to do whatever we need to do to, to, to make this happen because uh, enough is enough. And every baby matters, and that's why we're doing this and we're doing the Still Counts campaign because yeah, yeah. It so doesn't exactly. matter when your baby passed and if anyone's talking about them or not, you know, that baby matters and we need to make sure that we continue to push for change in memory of all these babies because it shouldn't have happened to us. It could have possibly not happened had we known what we know now and what doctors should be checking for on everyone and not just the high risk pregnancies that get the preferential treatment, it feels like, you know, that's not fair. It really breaks my heart for everyone who's on here. I know we all relate and that's why I want to stick around so long to hear this amazing story. And for me, it's just heartbreaking to hear you talk, but it's also like my inspiration daily. Like I said, I, I know you and I text really late because we're both obsessed with this. <laughs> yes. It's no reason to go to bed for me unless I know that tomorrow I'm waking up to do more to stop this. Cause we know every day it's 70 babies a day at least, who knows with COVID and, yeah. you know, 24 to 26,000 a year, it's always fluctuating, but that's a whole lot of babies and a whole lot of heartbreak. And for yeah. me, I don't know how you felt with your initial loss, but just, I didn't have an answer. So I felt like, well, whoever comes after me, who's to say, is it just a luck of a draw? Is it just, if they're lucky, they get the baby or not? Because that's what they were making it sound like. And yeah. I can handle that they weren't going to improve care after me. Cause they wouldn't communicate yeah. with me at all about yeah. wrong. Yeah. And I was like, you know what, then that just means you just did whatever it was that you didn't see. And then you're just going to continue doing it the way you're doing it. Other yeah. parents are going to come through. Now, how can I live with that? That, that was the part my... I couldn't Yeah. I went to, I was one of the first things I did was I wrote up like a, um, like a fact sheet about pregnancy and loss. And um, first of all, it's so that 
parents that this happened to you don't walk out of the hospital like we did feeling like they're completely alone like they should know this is way more common than um anybody talks about and number two they should again know what they they could be doing to reduce their risks right um and my my doctors just would not even entertain the idea of handing this down i was like you gave me 15 pieces of paper tell me what i'm allowed to eat and not and there are 10 babies 10 babies that die from listeria poisoning every year but every pregnant woman knows all the things she can and can't eat. Meanwhile, one out of 160 pregnancies are ending in stillbirth. That's, you know, 24,000 a year, and nobody bothers to tell you about it. So it already happened, and it's too late, and then they just say, ah, it just happens sometimes. You know, you try again. Like, no, that's my child. That's my child. You don't just try again. You can't replace them. And that's and that's what still hashtag still counts is about in our in our awareness campaign. Like people don't seem to understand what it means to have a stillbirth and what it actually means to lose it to lose a child. Like they think our babies just our pregnancy ended and our babies magically disappeared. It's like no, I had to give birth to this baby who I love, and then I had to put her six feet in the ground, and then I had to wake up every day the rest of my life without her trying to figure out how I'm supposed to put the pieces back together. Like, this is not something that you just get over. It's not okay. And the people who are in a, in a position of power to stop this from happening need to learn that and they need to see what the effects are and they need to be motivated to do something about it. Yeah. Um, so that's what we're doing. We're, we're going to, we're going to put our baby's stories out there front and center. It's, and um, it's really hard. I know right after loss to talk, but I know even our change makers, we have people who recently lost theirs and you don't have to do yeah. that right away. But if you have that strength, God bless you. Yeah. But I don't know how they do it, but we have, we it's do hard. Have you know, you have to get through the trauma and that's hard. what they're really getting away with it though, because unfortunately it's a silent killer right now with us not knowing about it. So we are gonna be as loud as we freaking can. I mean, I've been almost six years missing Owen and I cry too all the time, but I'm not afraid to speak up about it for him and for you guys. So you just yes. give me your stories and I'll share them. If you wanna talk on here with me too, please do make that calendar on my uh, link tree. Go ahead and calendar yourself in to talk about your baby. Go to our website, pushpregnancy.org. Um, and look for the Still Counts campaign. Actually, you could just go to stillcount.org and forward right to that page. Um, if you if you are a lost parent or somebody who loves a, a stillborn baby or any baby that's died, um, there's a bunch of things you could do there. You can set up a memorial page um, where you can put your baby's story and we're putting them all on a wall um, so that everybody can see that our our babies, you know, were not just a number that they were that they were children and they were loved. Um, they remain loved also shirts and things you guys can yeah, custom we have obviously push gear but we're yeah, going to have my... a still counts line where you can actually customize your baby's name and it's going to be as big as yeah. you want it right on top that's what i like about my shirts i want owen's name all over it that's that was kind of my push for um of course we love and honor all babies but when we go out there we want people to remember our child and this is not just one of many it's not one and, you know the one we're gonna miss forever so you keep talking so, yeah. <laughs> where we're going now because we are um we gotta get off because we have to go to clubhouse we are going to clubhouse right now guys if you don't know clubhouse it's super easy if you haven't downloaded it you can download it. it's free it's audio only. You'll be able to talk with Dr. Harvey Kleiman, who is the person who helped many of us find the cause of our loss many years later, even. 
through placental research and he's really awesome he's i mean honestly just a great human being he cares yeah, us so much like to give us answers that's the part of a story i didn't mention was actually i found out the reason the actual reason she died seven years later you missed um, yeah yeah that's Sorry. so important so I met, um, so I happened to sit next to Dr. Harvey Kleiman at a, at a conference, a summer conference. And uh, we started talking and he said, do you know why your baby died? And I was like, oh, I'm like 95% sure. And he's like, don't you want to know 100%? I was like, yeah. Um, so Even I decided. we could find out 100%. You can. Yeah, exactly. I was like, that's the thing we can do? Okay, sure. Um, so yeah, I just filled out a couple of forms. Uh, my insurance covered the whole thing. Um, basically, what they did was his office called, called, um, you know, the hospital that had my placental pathology um, slides, uh, they keep them, they keep them for at least 10 years. Um, so if you had placental pathology done, which is supposed to happen um, standardly without even asking for it, uh, you know, they can, you know, he's at Yale and they call and they say, hey, this is Yale, we need, we need this person's slides and they send them over. And within a, within a matter of weeks, um, he can analyze them. And what Dr. Um, Harvey uh, learned for us is that um, a lot of did die of a cord accident, um, I've been led to believe that it was an acute accident and one thing that happened that maybe I could have, you know, easily prevented by sleeping differently or something um, was that having repeated episodes of cord compression over the course of several weeks. Those last few weeks of the pregnancy, my nerves were slowing down um, and what would where we get compressed and the pressure would build and uh, blood would burst out. Um, and she would, she was bleeding out into my placenta. So she actually died of fetal maternal hemorrhage of blood loss. Um, it took a lot of weight off to know that it wasn't just um, just this one, one terrible mistake that I made. Um, you know, there's, there really wasn't anything that I could have done um, differently other than being more aware of movement and fighting for that. But um, even if they had looked for it, they probably wouldn't be able to. Is see that not even. something that currently and is no, there there is a simple blood test um, that they can use to check if fetal maternal hemorrhage is happening, um, but it's not super accurate uh so yeah so it's hard well, it's we hard. can work on that we can get some well, funding we can work on that exactly all our money everything is gonna go if you guys have anything specific but there's so much work to be done so, so and also let's plug real quick the oc marathon oh yes OC marathon. Up, and it's a wonderful family just joined us recently the gold family we're doing that in honor of ari and for yeah. our organization as um, the chosen donation. So if you make a donation, it'll just go to us. And of course, if you're in the OC area, please go out and show that. Um, I mean, there's so much we can do and I know we all feel pretty powerless sometimes and alone, but we're not alone, obviously. We're, there's a lot of people on this who their stories and we hear them every day. And that's the reason we're all together because we don't want to hear any more of that. It's horrible and it should not keep happening. So please join. You can volunteer as much or as little as you want. If you know anything, anybody, any, you know, resource, we can use it all. And we've gone a long way with very little already, but we have a long way to go too. So. Yeah. If you go to pushpregnancy.org and on the contact page, there's a form you just fill out and check off that. I want to volunteer for push, um, pull up with you and get you set up as one of our change makers and whatever you're looking to do out there. We'll, we'll help make sure you have the tools to do it. And great um, resources if you're planning to become pregnant or pregnant. For anyone. Yeah, go to our power pregnancy section. Yes, that was all new and very Sign up there too for information. Sign up there too. I mean, we're yeah. doing a lot, and actually, Sam does the most. So, thank you so thank much, you. Sam. Honestly, thank you. From the bottom of my heart to yours, on every day, and 
you know, just and I think Owen, so, and all the babies on here. And I know any of us, anytime we're here for you and support of your family and any kind of issues you have, we're doing our best with it, but we know it's hard. There's hard days and we have them too still. So here, anything you need. Doing the live about our babies often. And I know we love to, but it's also, you know, traumatic, but of our lives and that's one thing about loss people stop talking to you and I'm like hey that's the good thing about push I get to talk about Owen every day now and that really releases like, a lot of my grief because I feel like normally no one would even ask how are you feeling today or, what's going on like of course what do they know they don't know but now I get to talk as much as I want like for your baby to continue to be part of your family you know like my my living and they are and we didn't even talk about that you know we have family events and um you know and i just feel feel every you know because the love that you have for your child doesn't go away right so this is a beautiful way to pour that love into something um that's really going to help other people and make sure that their their lives count you know like she's having an impact every day through what we're doing here and Owen is having an impact every day through what we're doing here and um conversation now uh, kisses night. to you and Alana good night thank you for listening to Alana's story with me that one always hits me so hard knowing Alana's family closely and it's resembling of so many stories that I've heard I really hope that you found some inspiration in what Samantha's doing in her memory. And I also hope that you will join us in change making in memory of your children or other children that are gone too soon. Go to pushpregnancy.org to become a change maker, to make a donation, or simply to help us share the information that we hope will help save other babies in memory of all our babies gone too soon. As always, I'm here for you. If you'd like to share your story, make sure you contact me, Anna at pushpregnancy.org, or you can find me on Instagram, still my son. I'd love to hear your story and help you to make some change in memory of your child. Thank you for joining us today.